This was um, a historical week, obviously, with the passing of the Queen of England, the second. I heard that she was the second all-time longest reigning monarch behind the King of France. don't remember which one. Of course, we know that she's number three on the list. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who was from the beginning and whose reign will have no end. We are here this morning to worship Him and to recall the great things that He has done from His Word. Um, As often is the case when starting one message, uh, it became another. It's a simple message, uh, but hopefully an encouraging and profound one. I will warn you up front that I'm going to go the long way around the barn, as they say, uh, to get to the heart of the message this morning, so please bear with me. As Bill has already pointed out, last week Preston shared with us about gazing upon the beauty of God from Psalm 27. It was a wonderful message, which I'm sure many of us have pondered throughout the week, and I, like Bill, have remembered the words of Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. It's that desire to seek the Lord, beholding His beauty and meditating in His presence, that brings us together this morning to worship Him. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we're gathered this morning because we believe that in our community of faith, when we gather in your name, that you are here in our midst. Give us strength this morning and courage of heart to wait on you in every aspect of our lives. Forgive us of sin and trespasses as we forgive others who sin against us. In this moment, we surrender our thoughts to your captivity to your Lordship, that we might have the mind of Christ in all things. We surrender each concern of our hearts that consumes our thoughts and robs us of peace. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us in a level path, as it says in Psalm 27. In the land of the living, we wait for you, Lord, to speak to us. Please grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might perceive and know what you're saying to us this morning, individually and collectively, as a part of your body. And may our lives be a faithful expression to all who know us of the goodness and the beauty of God. Amen. Preston asked the question during his message last Sunday, what is beautiful to you? Well, I didn't answer at the time, but I immediately thought about a recent experience at our home in Oriental. I know Greg can relate to this because he enjoys sitting on the porch there. I was sitting on the end of the dock looking out over the water, and I can relate to Preston's love of sunsets and sailboats, but I would add that large, colorful fish uh, are also a beautiful thing to behold. One afternoon while sitting at the end of the dock, the river was so calm it was like a sea of glass. 
And as I was gazing across the five-mile expanse to the other side, I thought of the experience the disciples had with Jesus when he walked upon the water. The account is recorded in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and John chapter 6. And I pondered what it must have been like to see the Lord walking across an angry sea. If I had seen miracles like this and the many others that he performed, what questions would I ask him? If I had been there and had the opportunity to sit with him in front of a fire on the beach eating fish or walking along a dusty road, then I thought, what kind of questions did those who followed after Jesus think to ask him during their lifetime experiences when they were with him? Were they aware of what a historical, world-changing time they were living in because of this man, Jesus? It occurred, it occurred to me that it would be an interesting study to look at the questions for Jesus, the questions that they had for Jesus in the four Gospels to see the progression of understanding, or lack thereof in some cases, from when they began to follow him to when they knew who he was, and understood to the cross, to the grave, the resurrection, his ascension, and finally to their huddling and hiding together in the upper room prior to Pentecost. What questions did they have for Jesus? That study could be followed up with the questions from Jesus for them. What questions did our Lord ask as they are recorded in the Gospels? And then finally, a a compilation study of the answers from Jesus. I thought I would begin this message this morning on the questions for Jesus. But as it turns out, these three studies are going to take a while. <laughs> and I was immediately sidetracked with the story that started me down the path to start with, Jesus walking on the water. So instead, I want to share a few thoughts this morning about walking by faith specifically from the gospel accounts of Jesus walking on the water. Now we know that the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are obviously the written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. I want to take a few moments for a big picture reminder of the four gospels to gain some perspective before diving into the message found in three of them. Matthew is generally considered the author of the gospel by the same name, and he was one of the twelve disciples, and formerly a tax collector known also as Levi. The gospel, according to Matthew, was written for the Jewish people. Matthew wanted to connect the dots between the Old Testament and prophecies concerning the Messiah and Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies. The gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who spent a good deal of time with the Apostle Peter, especially in Rome. It's written in a style that a Jerusalem Christian would understand. It's considered to be written from Peter's experiences, as told to John Mark. Perhaps John Mark wrote down the account for Peter while he was imprisoned in Rome. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the physician, who is also attributed with writing the Acts of the Apostles. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He was a Greek who came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. 
He was a highly educated man and considered a great historian. The purpose of his writings were to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. His audience was perhaps other Greeks and Gentiles. The Gospel of John was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. He identifies himself this way in John 21:24 when he writes, This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that this testimony is true. It was more important to John to be known this way than to use his own name. He was loved by the Son of God. He referred to himself this way five times in his gospel account. The Apostle John's gospel, more than any other, speaks to both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus and his great love for sinners. His message conveys that only through Christ can our sins be forgiven and belief in him leads to eternal life. The four Gospels give four different perspectives for, for, for different audiences of the events of Jesus' life and ministry. Two are written by eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus, the Apostles Matthew and John. One is written by a companion of Peter and is considered to have been written for him, as we said. That's John Mark. The other is written by Luke, the companion of the Apostle Paul. So two are written by eyewitnesses who knew Jesus. One is written for another Apostle Peter, who knew Jesus. And the fourth was written for the Apostle Paul, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road and knew of him from eyewitness accounts from Peter and other disciples. The source of all four Gospels are eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. And all four accounts are inspired and God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. While the entirety of the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, are about Jesus, prophesying His coming and His coming again, these four books are the actual account of His life and ministry. Each Gospel account of Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee in Matthew, Mark, and John is preceded with the miraculous event where Jesus fed the 5,000 with five, just five loaves of bread and two fishes, one of only two miracles that are accounted for in all four Gospels. At the end of this miracle, each Gospel account says that a surplus of 12 baskets of bread and fish were left over. Matthew says it this way in 14, 19 through 20. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. Mark's Gospel in 641-43 through 43 says, And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And John records the event in 6, 11 through 14 this way. Jesus then took the loads and giving giving thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, 
likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus took, he held the bread and the fish in each of these three accounts. Then he blessed them. Matthew and Mark say that he broke them. Then he gave them. John says he distributed them. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. I think we can see here that Jesus was making a statement with this miracle. It was a reflection of his own life. He did not come to give bread. He came to be bread, to be the bread of life. Yes, Jesus can provide physical bread for the body that satisfies the hunger of the here and now. But infinitely more important is that he is the bread of life that satisfies the soul for eternity. And each account indicates that there were 12 baskets full after everyone ate until they were satisfied. The significance of 12 baskets, one for each disciple. What must have been going through their minds? How blessed we are to be with Jesus. He meets our every need in abundance. What will happen next? Well, here's Matthew's account of what happened next in chapter 14, verses 22 through 23. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. I love that word. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Now Peter remembers the event this way, as relayed through Mark 6, 45 through 52. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by them, 
But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For all, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. It's interesting, Mark's aside here, they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Their heads must have been hardened too. How could they have just experienced the feeding of the 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two fish with an abundant amount left over? Probably baskets sitting at their feet in the boat and be astonished at anything that Jesus would do. Finally, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote this account of the event in John 6, 15 through 21. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. They were transported. Three accounts of the same event from different perspectives with different memories. Each account had Jesus on the mountain praying and the disciples rowing across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. An interesting decision. According to Matthew and Mark, Jesus made the disciples go while he stayed. Matthew said he sent them to the other side. Mark said he sent them to the other side to Bethsaida. John said Jesus sent them to the other side to Capernaum. Bethsaida and Capernaum were not far from each other. Bethsaida is where Philip, Andrew, and Peter were from. And Capernaum is where Jesus performed many miracles. Each gospel account indicates that the sea was getting rough because of the wind. Matthew says the boat was battered by the waves and the wind was contrary. Mark says the disciples were straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And John says the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. The disciples had left in the evening, and now it was the fourth hour, which is the last part of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. It's probably closer to 6 a.m. than 3 a.m. So they've been on the water for several hours trying to cross to the other side. It was probably six miles or so, kind of like crossing an oriental from one side of the river to the other. And they've been doing it for hours now with little success. They're stuck. Several of these men were seasoned watermen, fishermen. But because of the wind and waves, they're struggling. They're getting nowhere. They're stuck in the middle of the sea. It was at this time, after hours of struggling against the wind, that Jesus appeared. 
walking on the water. They were terrified and perceived him to be a ghost. Imagine what that must have felt like. They probably had no navigational lights, maybe a lantern, maybe a torch, but with the wind so strong, was there any light at all? It's a storm, so maybe there's cloud cover, there's no moonlight. It was dark, terrifying. And then they see this apparition coming towards them on the water. In each gospel account, Jesus says, It is I, do not be afraid. The translated Greek phrase here is ego imi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. This is significant because God uses this phrase to describe himself in Exodus 3 in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. I am who I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life and the life. It's the same use of the phrase here. Jesus says, it is I. I am has come to you. It's not time to fear. I am here. Ego imi. In each of the three gospel accounts, then, Jesus gets in the boat. Matthew says, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Mark says, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. They were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. And John says, So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Three distinctly different remembrances on the final part of this extraordinary voyage. In the first two, Jesus got in the boat, and the wind stopped. In John's account, they were willing for him to get into the boat, and then they were immediately at their destination. In Matthew's account, they worshipped Jesus in the boat and declared he was certainly God's son. In Mark's account, they were just astonished. And in John's account, Jesus got in the boat and they were suddenly on the shore. Now, I have no insight into these different reactions, perhaps... Greg might can help us with that, but I can only offer that each of us responds to God, to the work of God in our lives in different ways. What's profound and life-altering for one can be ponderous and solemn for another. The most glaring difference in the three accounts really is that only Matthew relates the story of Peter asking the Lord to command him to come on the water. It's a powerful story of the authority of Christ to control nature, the wind and the waves, the buoyancy of the water, the laws of gravity. And it's also a story of the power of faith-centered and focused on Christ and not on the surroundings. It's a story of the faithfulness of Christ to rescue us, even in our failed attempts at stepping out on faith. Why would Peter not relay this story to Mark to include in his gospel? I cannot say. Perhaps Peter knew that Matthew had told the story and he didn't feel the need to draw attention to himself in that way. I don't know. Certainly, he had not forgotten such an experience. I can say that obviously God intended for Matthew to relay what he witnessed firsthand that night, and he did so. 
What can we draw from these two events that happened in a single 12-hour or so span in the lives of the disciples as they walked with Jesus? First, I think we can surmise that Jesus came not just to give bread, but to be bread in our lives, the bread of life. Also, when in the midst of contrary wind and a storm that threatened their lives, Jesus came to them. Likewise for us, he may sometimes ask us to step out of the boat and into the chaos, but for sure, he will get in the boat with us. But Jesus is in the boat. The storm is no longer a concern when Jesus is in the boat. The storm doesn't matter. I like John's version, I think, of the account the most. He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. When we listen to Jesus, and we give him our fears, when we're willing to receive him into our lives, and ask him into the boat on the contrary sea of our circumstances, we will immediately land at our destination, where we're going. It's the faith that we put in Jesus that will cause us to land on the shore of heaven. When I close my eyes in death, I will awake at the land to which I'm going because of Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us regarding Jesus that he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When we join Jesus in ministering to the needs of others, he will be the bread of life to us, and he will at the same time provide the basket we need so that we're not famished, burned out, and ineffective. When we get in the boat where he tells us to go, and the storms come, and we aren't sure where he is, we must have faith. Jesus will come. He's on his way. We must invite him in the boat. And when we do, we will arrive at our destination. This is not a story about Jesus changing the weather. It's a story about Jesus coming and getting in the boat. Ego in me. I am is here. There is no fear. Whatever storms each of us is riding out this morning, let's invite Jesus in the boat anew and afresh. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, sometimes we are so feeble and frail, so limited in our understanding, that we long to please you. Sometimes we just don't make the choices that get us there. I thank you, Lord, that every day is new with your mercies. I thank you that today is a new day in you ask you to forgive me of my sin my shortcomings my laziness 
Lord, everyone here this morning, I pray whatever's going on in each of our lives, if a storm is raging around us, Lord, come in, come to us. Come get in the boat with us. Calm the storm. Take us where you want us to go. Do what you need to do in us to do through us what you want to do. I thank you this morning, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and your reign is without end. I thank you that because of Jesus in my heart and in my life, he has borne my sins. Scripture says he's borne the sins of many to all who will believe in his name. I thank you for salvation for each of us who have believed on your name and confessed with our mouths that you are Lord. Where you call us, Lord, to distribute bread of life, give us clarity. Where you send us, Lord, where storms may arise around us, give us faith. And I thank you, Lord, that I am is here. I am is here. There's no reason to fear. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your presence in our lives. And may our lives be an accurate representation of the grace and goodness and beauty of God to your glory. In Jesus' name.